now your oldest son's in harm's way. So what's going through your mind as you're watching Andrew lead his paratroopers on this mission? It was it was nerve wracking for sure. For me, I have this vision at Fort Benning of this little five-year-old. I could see him from the house. He would walk to school and this little five-year-old with that big old backpack on. And now, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, here he goes with his rucksack on. So, um, yeah, it was a lot. Welcome to AUSA's Army Matters podcast, focusing on what's important to the total Army community. We bring vital Army conversations and interviews on issues relevant to soldiers, military families, and all of you amazing Army supporters. Rotating each week, our show includes Soldier Today, Leading Great Teams, Family Voices, and Thought Leaders. Let's tune into the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Colonel Retired Scott Halstead from the Center for Leadership at the Association of the United States Army. And welcome to this episode of Army Matters. On the night of October 19th, 2001, the 3rd Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment, conducted an airborne assault to destroy Taliban forces and seize an airstrip west of Kandahar City. Nearly 20 years later, in August of 2021, elements of the 82nd Airborne Division deployed to Kabul, Afghanistan to facilitate the evacuation of 124,000-plus American citizens, NATO allies, and vulnerable Afghan partners. The Wanovich family was there at the beginning the middle, and the end of America's longest war. Our guests today are Colonel Retired Jim Wanovich, his wife Kim, and their oldest son, First Lieutenant Andrew Wanovich. Jim parachuted into Afghanistan with the initial invasion force in October 2001, while Andrew participated in the final evacuation of American citizens and military forces from Afghanistan. They are here to tell us about their unique experiences both in Afghanistan and at home during multiple deployments. Jim, Kim, and Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Scott. I've known Jim since 1994, and we've served together multiple times over the course of our Army careers. Jim and I were discussing Andrew's deployment at last year's Army-Navy football game, and it made me appreciate the unique service and sacrifices of their family in America's longest war. Now, Jim, let's start with you, and let's go back to 9-11. How did you end up on the initial invasion force that jumped into Afghanistan in October 2001? We were actually planning for a trip into South America to do some training, and we're in our skiff when 9-11 happened. And uh, someone actually came in the skiff and said, hey, there was a plane that hit the towers. So back then, we had one TV at the staff duty. So we're all trying to look around that grainy photo. And I remember our, you know, our battalion commander, as the afternoon kind of went on, said, hey, go home, be with your families. I think he knew that you know, if there was going to be a call, we were going to get it. And so we, we all went home and I think it was a, a couple of days. I don't remember the exact timeline and it was right around dinner time. And I got a phone call from the S3 and he says, Hey, I need, need to see you in the battalion. And I don't know what my thought process was, but I go in and he says, Hey, grab your secret computer. We're going to regiment. And, uh, that really started the plan of what we were going to do, um, and where we're going to be. And they said, Hey, we better convene the whole force. We all came back to Fort Bragg like that Monday and uh, kind of really started to wrap the plan around. We knew before we left in early October um, that we were going to jump on October 19th. For me, that was the weirdest part was knowing 
that I was going to do something and not be able to tell Kim or, or really anybody uh, what we we're about to do. And we kind of knew what we were going to do. What was it like to jump out of an MC-130 on that night onto, onto Objective Rhino? I mean, so few people in our Army have experienced a combat jump. You've done it twice now, both into Afghanistan and Iraq. What was it like on that first one? Two stories. Number one, when the C-130 rolled down the strip, we took the seats out. And so we sat in four rows, 55 Rangers on the floor right. for five hours across uh, across Mediterranean, across Pakistan. Anytime you go through a five-hour flight on the floor, I think most of us just wanted to get out of that thing. Right. You know, when you do the training jumps, you kind of know the drop zone. You're just kind of like, okay, whatever. But everybody in that plane was understanding of where we were in the air. They would tell us, hey, we're passing into Pakistan. Now we're passing into Afghanistan. And that's when we kind of dropped down to where we had to be for jump level. And where we were, there was very little ambient light. It was dark. I'm glad we dropped a bomb on things because it caused a fire and you could actually see when you came out of the airplane. Right. I remember as I, as I jumped out, it was really dark. I think the training was so good. The leaders that we had back then, our training was realistic. I remember, you know, jumping, assembling, getting on the ground and looking up and thinking, holy smokes, I'm in Afghanistan. Cause it didn't feel like it. It was just felt like another training exercise because everybody was doing the things that we had done so many times before. Through all those years of training, Kim was at home taking care of three boys. Kim, what was going on in your mind and, and were you scared? It was, it was nerve wracking for sure. When he went to brag to train and get ready to go, I knew, but I couldn't talk to anybody right? other than the spouses. I mean, OPSEC was a huge thing back then. It was, it was a, a no joke kind of thing. And, um, the wives, we, we all knew, and, and, and th- those who lived on post, it really became a close-knit group of ladies, for sure. Um, my neighbors, of course, didn't even know he was gone until um, for several days, and finally somebody said, where's your husband? And I, I didn't even know what to say. I was, you know, oh, they're doing some training. Um, you know, that was the go-to, their training. Right. But I'm thankful in a way that I didn't know a lot of information. That's just not how it was disseminated. We just... I, I had three kids who kept me extremely busy. I tried to make sure that their lives stayed pretty um, similar. I, I didn't go home. I stayed there at Fort Benning. I watched the news after I put the kids to bed, and um, I fell apart those evenings late at night when the kids were in bed, um, just the waiting and the wondering, and I did not hear from him until Thanksgiving. Wow. So that was a long, long time. And, of course, we did see the jump on the news. So I knew that he had jumped and, you know, the old saying, which is so true, no news is good news. Right. And that's what we just lived by. Wow. It it takes significant courage to remain strong in front of your children when you had really so little information about Jim's whereabouts and his safety. Andrew, let's shift to you. As a young boy, you saw your dad deploy multiple times, sometimes for a few months and sometimes for over a year. That had to affect you quite a bit. I mean, some army brats look at their parents and say, no way, this isn't for me. But you signed up and did ROTC at North Carolina State University and then transferred to West Point. Did you always know that the army was somehow in your future? 
I think I knew the the Army was always in my future. NC State and then changing course to go to West Point is its own kind of little interesting story. But I knew even as a senior in high school that I wanted to commission as a as an infantry officer and serve in the infantry and the Army. Andrew, I'm sure you didn't expect that you'd fall in your father's footsteps to a place like Afghanistan. And yet there you were in August 2021, stepping off the ramp of a C-17 at Hamid Karzai International Airport. What do you remember about that moment? We landed in the middle of the night, came off the ramp, assembled in the middle of the night. Um, there was tracer fire going outside the city. And it was just, it was really weird. We assembled, we, we kind of got our bearings. And we saw there was a, a crew of mechanics working on Apache on the flight line. And so we kind of slowly realized that, you know, we were not in war, that we weren't fighting immediately. Right. Um, and we kind of got our bearings straight. We went to the, the passenger terminal where they were already starting evacuations. And then we ended up getting on a Chinook and flying to their side of the airport to Camp Alvarado to the State Department compound, which is where the, the 82nd uh, was basically stationed for the next two weeks. The first night, it was just really chaotic. Nobody really knew what was going on. There was a lot of whispers, um, but we fell in on the, the State Department compound and it was empty. All the chews were the the embassy workers and State Department workers stayed. TVs were still on, all their personal belongings. They left in a hurry. So it was really, really weird when we first showed up. And, and then we kind of established ourselves and got a, a foothold of what was going on um, and went from there for the next two weeks there. Well, Andrew, that is certainly a significant difference from your experience in Afghanistan compared to your dad's. We have to take a quick break, but we'll be back with more stories about Afghanistan, as well as how Jim and Kim felt about their son serving in harm's way. Join AUSA, the Army's premier professional association and host of the largest land power exposition in the United States. AUSA is open to everyone, including all ranks and components. So whether you have a relationship with the U.S. Army or simply want to honor those who serve, you can learn more at AUSA.org join. We're back with Jim, Kim, and Andrew Wanovich, an Army family that experienced firsthand the beginning, middle, and end of America's mission to Afghanistan. Now, Kim, you've said goodbye to Jim numerous times prior to his own deployments. But last year, your oldest son, Andrew, got alerted for a rapid deployment to Afghanistan. How did you find out about Andrew's mission and what was going through your mind as he departed? So as soon as Andrew got his information, he passed it along to us because, of course, we live in the Fayetteville area as well. He sent me a text and said, I'm heading out. And his wife, Haley, was keeping us informed. And I drove over to his battalion company and, and gave him a hug and told him I loved him and, you know, all of those things. And that's when I really realized I was an Army mom. Right. For me, I have this vision at Fort Benning of this little five-year-old once school opened back up at Fort Benning after 9-11 because it had to shut down for a few days as we figured out how to get our teachers on post because the post had closed down and we were trying to get everybody through with all the checks that they were doing. And so when he got to go back to school, I could see him from the house. He would walk to school and this little five-year-old with that big old backpack on. And now, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, here he goes with his rucksack on. Right. So, um, yeah, it was a lot. How about you, Jim? On one hand, you have extensive experience in Afghanistan, but on the other hand, Andrew's your son. What was going through your mind while Andrew was overseas? I mean, I think there's, there's a sense of pride 
seriously that he's willing to serve and and do his part. I've been teammates with people like you know now Lieutenant General Chris Donahue. I had worked for uh, Admiral Pete Baisley, and so I knew the leadership that was over there at the time, and I had total confidence in them. I think what concerned me the most, and I think anybody who's deployed has always said, it's not if, it's when and where. I'm not trying to be a naysayer, but I just, you knew something was going to happen and you were hoping that your son wasn't going to be where it happened. And I know when it happened, I was, I was like almost automatically onto Google Earth, looking at different gates and going, okay, where might he be right. in this whole scenario? I knew the area and, and kind of understood where he might be on the airfield. Okay. We were in the, in one of the buildings that uh, we fell in on a bunch of computers and stuff. And, and one of the soldiers had found one that was either unlocked or he was able to unlock and connect to the internet. And I made a, a call over the internet just to say I was okay. <laughs> American ingenuity. Soldiers will always find a way to call back home. Andrew, what is your most vivid memory of your deployment to Afghanistan? Yeah, so the first couple of days, it was it was just really chaotic as we got things settled in. The other two uh, rifle battalions came in, and, and we had kind of figured out the airport security linked in with Marines. But one of the things that was pretty unique the first day is um, we fell in on Camp Alvarado, the State Department compound, and their DFAC, when we walked in, uh, I mean, there was still food in the warming trays, in the ovens. They had left dirty dishes, I mean, picked up and left. And so, again, we have a section of cooks in our company. And the, the senior cook, you know, immediately began cleaning and inventorying. <laughs> That's awesome. And by the next day, uh, we were pushing out Taco Monday. But I remember the next day riding around in a, a bongo van, blasting music, going out to the towers and, and handing out paratroopers talk on Monday. So that was kind of unique. Right. But really just, I mean, the first couple of days, it was just, it was crazy. The criminals came out of the woodworks. You figured out who could hotwire cars. And, you know, like you're talking about that, the paratrooper ingenuity, people figured out how to drive forklifts. Um, it was just, you know, almost comical. I kind of linked in with a buddy from Bico and helped him take food out to his guys and just, you know, flying down the taxiway as C-17s are taken off. Um, at one point we were by the PAX terminal and there's a C-17 that was taxiing and we like, we're basically looking at each other and the C-17 waved us through to drive like under the wing. So it was just, I mean, it was almost just kind of lawless. Right. As the days went on, uh, we kind of get gotten into a battle rhythm. I actually, I learned how to drive stick in Afghanistan. I'd never driven a stick shift and I figured I'd rather tear up the transmission of a Toyota Hilux that we're going to leave there than a buddy's car back home. Right. So, Andrew, I'd love to hear your thoughts. When, when your portion of the mission is complete, what's going through your mind as you're getting back on a C-17 to begin the journey back home? What are you and your paratroopers thinking about at this point? Yeah, so I was manifested and flew out the, the morning of the 30th. But one of my last experiences was actually sitting on the tarmac when the, one of the rocket attacks came over and watched the C-RAM you know, engage the rockets come over. And then got on the aircraft and flew out. I, I flew on the floor because we had, we had packed in the C-17. Um, but I don't even really think that we had, I, I thought anything of it until we got to Kuwait and had a couple of weeks to share experiences and, and kind of think about what just happened the past two weeks. Because it was, 
it was just really surreal throughout the the activation and then the two weeks there. It really we just kind of did what we need to do to get the mission done, and then we kind of reflected on it later. But I am proud to have had been a part of the operation um, and to close out that the war in Afghanistan. It, it definitely makes me proud to have served in the ending of the same campaign that my dad had started off. Well, Jim and Andrew, you both have made this country so proud by your contributions in Afghanistan and elsewhere. But since we're almost out of time, I'd like to close with someone who also made our country proud. And Kim, I'm talking about you. Did you ever expect that your husband and your oldest son would both serve in such a volatile place like Afghanistan? We never saw this one coming for Andrew, obviously. Yeah, you don't see it coming. And, and you know, people say now, well, you knew when you married him. Well, when I married Jim, 9-11 hadn't happened. And no, I didn't expect 10 deployments. I didn't know that was going to happen. And he was going to miss five and a half years of his children's lives. Nope. I didn't know that was going to happen. Marriage is hard. Uh, deployments don't make anything easier. The Army life is not for everybody. So I'm excited to see Andrew has found somebody who's willing to um, share this ride with them. I just want to thank those who continue to love their soldiers. Well, I don't think I could come up with a better way to end this interview. Jim, Kim, and Andrew, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your experience with us. But more importantly, thank you for your selfless and exceptional service to the Army and our country. Thank you. Thank you. To all our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Army Matters podcast on iTunes and everywhere podcasts are found. The Army Matters podcast series is brought to you by the Association of the United States Army, the U.S. Army's professional association, member-supported, Army-connected. Visit us at AUSA.org for more information or to become a member. Your membership helps AUSA continue to carry out its mission to educate, inform, and connect with the total Army, our industry partners, and our supporters of a strong national defense. For questions or to provide topic recommendations, email us at podcast at AUSA.org. Have a great Army day. Hua.